Oh, I love that movie, Braveheart. A ragtag bunch of guys who just get together because they are committed to finding freedom. And today we celebrate freedom. On this Memorial Day, a day set apart to remember the men and women who gave their lives so that we might enjoy freedom, a freedom that way too often we take for granted. We just assume that this is the way it is. So you're probably wondering about the chains. If not, pay attention. <laughs> we normally don't wear chains, do we? I mean, really? Some of you grew up in liturgical churches where they wore robes and stoles, but probably not chains. So why the chains, Bob? Because ultimately, our greatest freedom, the greatest freedom need that you and I have is not freedom from oppressive governments or domineering parents or dreary jobs or a selfish spouse. No, this is our greatest need. Our greatest freedom need is to be set free from the power and the guilt of sin. Left to ourselves, we can't do that. We cannot defeat sin. We want to do good. We don't want to sin, but we end up doing it over and over and over again. Time and again, we fail to do the good that we know we ought to do, that we want to do, that, that our heart is set on doing, because we struggle with sin. So we rationalize it, right? We figure out how to explain it away. Well, hey, I'm not as bad as she is. I mean, she's super sinful. And I'm not super sinful. Or we justify. Well, I think that the good that I'm doing is going to outweigh the bad that I'm doing. So I should be okay. In the end, when I stand before God, I'll be sure to bring along a list of all the good things I've done. And I think that on the balanced scale of, of life and death, my good will do better and hold me in good stead. But in the end, you and I, because of sin, struggle with finding true freedom. Okay. But why the change, Bob? I mean, really? That's not a great fashion statement. Well, I wear chains for a purpose. Because sin weighs us down and holds us back. And we need help to gain freedom from the, the power and the guilt of our sin. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I. Does it bother you that I'm using the word sin? I mean, that's kind of an uncomfortable word, isn't it? It feels almost judgmental feels harsh, uncaring. We shy away from sin. We don't like the word sin. And, and maybe you're offended that I'm even saying it, but hey, we're in church. Where else do we talk about sin? We don't talk about it out there. We don't talk to your kids about, hey, when you didn't pick up your clothes, you sinned against me. When your boss says, you know, I think you padded your expense account. We need to sit down and talk about your sins. It doesn't happen out there, but we talk about it in here. And it still makes us uncomfortable. So we try to find other ways to talk about it. Sin seems so judgmental that we come up with other phrases and words that make us feel a little bit better about it. We, we talk like this. Well, I, I really don't sin. I just mess up once in a while. Yeah, that's, I, I mess up once in a while. 
It's not really sinning, it's just messing up. Well, that's what your kids do in their bedroom when they don't pick up their clothes, they mess up their room. Is that really sin? Or we come up with this one. Uh, I don't sin, I just wander from the straight and narrow on occasion. Oh, that should make you feel really good. You just wander from the straight and narrow? Here's my favorite one. I think maybe the best one of all. I don't sin. I just make mistakes. Kind of like, aw, shucks. I made a mistake. I like that one. I think that's maybe the better substitute. You want to, you want, should we go with that? Let's stop talking about sin. Let's start talking about mistakes. Except, I, I don't know. You see, mistakes are what the sixth graders make on a math test. When they don't get the right answer, that's a mistake. And a mistake is what an adult does when by accident he drives the wrong way on a one-way street. That's a mistake. Mistakes are correctable. We can learn from them so that we don't do them again. I'm not sure that that really covers what we're talking about when we talk about sin. Because sometimes actually, think about this, sometimes we actually make mistakes on purpose. We do. So the high school student who's concerned about an exam, in the process of not studying well for the exam, makes a little crib sheet and takes that into the exam with him so that he can score better on the exam. Is that just a mistake? It feels more than that. I don't think the teacher is going to say, oh, that was just a little mistake. Don't worry about it. You just cheat all you want. It's just a mistake. I don't think that's how it works. Is it just a mistake when you repeatedly cheat on the vows you made to your spouse? Is that just a mistake? I don't think your spouse considers that a mistake. I don't think mistake covers this, the severity of something like that. Are you just making a mistake when you steal from your employer? Perhaps we're making a mistake by substituting the word mistake for what really is more serious than that. Maybe we need to go back to a, an old-fashioned word. Maybe we need to resurrect that term, that word that sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable, and just call it sin. But when we do that, we begin to feel all of the weight of the power and the guilt of sin. And we begin to realize that what we really need now is freedom. You see, here's the rub. If I sin, then I must be a sinner. And what's a sinner? Well, here's a good definition of what a sinner is. A sinner is anyone who knows the difference between right and wrong and chooses to do wrong. You know the difference between right and wrong, and then you deliberately, intentionally, purposely choose to do wrong. Sound like anyone you know? Sound like anyone you see when you look in the mirror? Is it possible that we all sin? Is it possible that we are sitting in a room of sinners? Sinners? 
Oh, it's more than possible. It's a reality. But as we're going to talk about in a few moments, the question is whether or not you are forgiven or if you're walking under the burden of the guilt and power of sin. Maybe you grew up in a church where you heard a lot about sin and sinners. And maybe even more about condemnation and judgment and hell. Maybe you even heard that sinners are condemned to hell. And that God actually delights in sending you there because you are bad. Maybe that's what you grew up with. Maybe that's what you've been wrestling with and struggling with and wanting to get away from. Well, what you may have heard back in the day is not the whole story. Because you see, Jesus had a very different response to people who were wearing the sinner label, who were trapped by the weight of their own sinfulness, the power and the guilt of sin. Jesus had a very different response than some of those old-fashioned preachers who would try to scare us out of hell and into heaven. And what was his response? Well, never once do we find him threatening them with hell. Jesus never stood up and said, if you don't change, you're going to go to hell. He never stood, stood and said, turn or burn. That was not his message. His message was so different. He said just the opposite. His response is an offer of restoration, of healing, of freedom. That's what Jesus offers to us. He taught us that sin will separate us from God. But he also taught that God is willing to forgive us and to bring us back into relationship with him. It was important to Jesus that men and women faced and embraced the reality of their own sinfulness. But also that they also understood the gift of forgiveness and wholeness that he would offer. You see, it's in forgiveness that we find the freedom from the power and the guilt of sin. There's an interesting story about Jesus extending forgiveness and restoration to a woman who was, without a doubt, a sinner. John was one of Jesus' closest disciples. And John wrote an account of the life and work of Jesus that we have in our Bible. It's called the Gospel of John, the story of the work of Jesus. And in it, he tells the story of an encounter between Jesus and a woman. And we want to look at that story together this morning. It begins early in the morning. At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. Now, I want you to begin to get a sense of what this is like. So I have this, this uh, picture of a replica of the temple. I want you to see how big those courtyards are. And it was very common in Jesus' day that the teachers, the, the leaders, the rabbis, with their followers would go into the temple courts, like where this arrow is pointing, and they'd sit down, and the, and the students would gather around them. And they'd begin to speak of their wisdom and teach them and instruct them. Jesus wouldn't have been the only one in these temple courts. There would have been others, other rabbis, other teachers who also had their students gathered around them. But imagine that somewhere in this area, Jesus is now seated. 
His followers are around him. They want to hear the wisdom that he's about to give them as he teaches them. And he begins, and he instructs them. And what happens next is totally unexpected. We go back to our text. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. Get this picture and understand what's happening. This is a drama-filled moment. Right in the middle of the teaching that Jesus is doing with the people gathered around him come these religious leaders of the day. These are scribes and Pharisees. These are the leaders in the temple, the teachers of the law, and the Pharisees who live by the law and create laws to make sure they keep the laws. And they step their way to the center and they put in front of Jesus a woman caught in adultery. You can bet that it's about as quiet there as it is here right now. This is an awkward moment. Now, are you as curious as I am about something? Do you wonder... Adultery isn't something you do by yourself. There's a woman brought, caught in adultery by herself. Isn't there supposed to be a guy someplace? Isn't it likely that there's another person involved in this? Well, he was probably just a really good runner, right? He probably just escaped. He's really quick on his feet, and and he ran away before the scribes and the and the Pharisees could catch him. Or maybe this was a group of men who decided they'd let their buddy go. And he didn't have to pay the penalty. Fact is, we don't know why that guy wasn't brought forward with the woman. And while there's compassion for this woman who is now being brought and stood in front of all the people, we mustn't ignore the fact that this woman, as badly as we might feel for her right now, is truly a sinner. And then the men speak. This is what they say. Teacher, talking to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This is not a quest for information or resolution of a, of a thorny issue. They're trying to trap Jesus. And let me give you a clue of what's going on here. You've got this woman who is standing now in the middle of this crowd, probably of mostly men, maybe some women. Her head is bowed. Her eyes are staring at the dirt. I suspect she's crying. There are tears rolling down her cheek. Her face is red. She is being publicly shamed by this spectacle that has been created. She's trembling. Trembling out of fear for her life. The penalty is clear in the law of Moses. She is to be stoned until she is dead. And there she stands. And while they talk to Jesus about what should they do, 
they've really laid what they believe is a great trap for Jesus. You see, if Jesus says, well, don't stone her, he's going contrary to the law of Moses, which was the law of the Jewish people. Everyone knew the penalty for this kind of action. They knew she'd, she's supposed to be stoned to death. And if he says, don't stone her, he loses credibility because he undermines the law of Moses. But if he says, stone her, he's immediately in trouble with the Romans who control the land because they are the only ones who can give permission for someone to be killed. If there's a penalty to be exacted, the penalty of death, they have to give agreement to it. So they believe they have Jesus right where they want him. No matter what he says, he's in trouble. He's in trouble with the Jews if he says, don't stone her. He's in trouble with the Romans if he says, stone her. And they're waiting to hear what he's going to say so that they can accuse him because he's really getting to be a problem for these religious leaders. He's just trouble. And the people like him better than they like them. And they're jealous and they're envious and they're angry. So what does Jesus do? Here's what he does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. He doesn't answer their question. He simply kneels down and starts to write in the dirt with his finger. And what did he write? I'll bet you want to know, don't you? Well, I'm going to tell you. We don't know. We have no idea. But I spent a couple of hours this week reading what other people think he wrote. And they don't know either. We don't know. We have no idea. He could have been playing tic-tac-toe for all we know. But he doesn't answer their question. But that doesn't mean they don't keep asking it. Look what happens next. When they kept on questioning him, so Jesus is down there writing in the dirt, right? And they keep pestering him. Well, come on, what, 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 what? What are we gonna do? What, 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 what? It's like a three-year-old keeps asking, why, 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 why? And Jesus straightens up and says to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. If any one of you is without sin, feel free to toss the first stone. And suddenly things have changed. The accusers are silent. This is not what they had expected from Jesus. He's caught them off guard, but the question is a penetrating question. They stop pestering him for a response and they start to think about what he has just said. If any one of you is without sin, examine your own life, Jesus says. Take a look at your life. Are you a perfect person? Do you have right to stand in judgment of another person? To stand in condemnation of a woman caught in the act of adultery? Some would say that when he asks this question, are any of you without sin, he's actually saying, have any of you ever committed this same sin? Have any of you ever had a lustful thought for another woman? Have any of you desired someone who is not yours to desire? 
So whether we're talking any sin or that specific sin, those religious leaders who brought this woman forward are dumbstruck. They don't know how to respond. If you're so good, then feel free to toss the stone, he said. At this, we read on, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. It must have been an amazing few moments, as one by one by one, the men who brought this woman forward for condemnation leave in silence. Those who had come to shame the woman find themselves leaving in shame. Those who had come to trap Jesus find themselves trapped by their own sinfulness. And in the end, that ring of accusers is gone. And now Jesus and the woman are, are still there in the center, and I suspect around them are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, those who had been there earlier to hear him teach. And they're wondering, now what happens? This is what happens. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't ask her, are you guilty? He doesn't penetrate into the situation itself. The question is not, are you guilty? She is guilty. She was caught in the act of adultery. But when he asks about those who condemn her, there are none who are there yet to condemn her. And he says, and I won't condemn you either. Not because you live a perfect life. You don't. You are a sinner, and you did sin. Everyone knows it. But I don't condemn you because I choose to forgive you. I choose to offer you something that you need more than condemnation. You need forgiveness and a new beginning. Jesus doesn't minimize the seriousness of her sin by any measure. But he offers her what she needs more deeply. Forgiveness and a new life. And what does freedom, excuse me, what does forgiveness bring? It brings freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from condemnation that sin inevitably brings to us. And so I ask, what about you? What about you? Have you received the forgiveness that Jesus offers so freely? And how do we get that kind of forgiveness? Where does it come from? Well, John, in another letter that he would write several years later, 
says this. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, God the Son, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How do we find forgiveness? You see, the truth is, we sin because we are sinners. And we are sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. And we are sinners because we sin. But rather than condemnation, Jesus offers to us forgiveness. He doesn't minimize our sin. He doesn't whitewash our sin. He says, I forgive your sin. If you will confess your sin to me, if you will come to me broken and humbled, I will give you forgiveness. And when we receive his forgiveness, the chain of condemnation that we wear around our neck that burdens us is lifted off, not by what we do, but by what he has done. And we are free. No more condemnation. Because of Jesus. Uh, Bob? You've got one more, right? You know that. You forget to take that one off? No, I didn't. Because there's another issue here. The second chain represents the guilt of our sin. It's one thing to be free from the condemnation that sin brings to us. But there's another part that happens more inside of us. It's the guilt of our sin. I often hear people say something like this. I know that I've been forgiven by God for my sin, but I can't forgive myself. How do I forgive myself for the wrong things that I've done? That's our guilt speaking. We know that we've hurt people. We know that we've said things we shouldn't have said, done things we shouldn't have done. We know we've cried out to God for forgiveness and he's forgiven us but I still feel this guilt, this, this weight, this burden of what I have done. How do I forgive myself, Bob? How do I do that? Well, I have good news for you today. You don't have to forgive yourself. You don't. Because you have been forgiven. And it's not about you forgiving yourself now. It's you embracing the forgiveness that you have been given. There's this guy in the Bible called, named David. He was the great king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. But David was a first-class sinner. He may have been a king, but he was not a good man all the time. And you probably know the story about how one day he's on his rooftop, <coughs> and he looks out and he sees this woman bathing, and he thinks, whoa, nice. And he's a king, right? He calls her in. And then he sends her home. <laughs> and she becomes pregnant. Now, this is a problem for the king. But because she's married. So he's committed adultery. And then ultimately, to resolve his dilemma, he commits murder. He has her husband killed 
makes it look like an accident. He marries her, makes it look like his child. All is good, right? No, not so much. David, you're a sinner. And David cries out to God for forgiveness. And God graciously forgives him his sin. There were consequences to that sin, as there are to all of our sins. There are consequences. That child died right after birth. That was a consequence to the sin. But David knew he was forgiven. And then he writes in one of his psalms these words. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And what that tells me is that when we cry out to God and confess our sins, when he gives us forgiveness, it's not now about me forgiving myself. It's me taking to myself his forgiveness. That can be a challenge. I've been there. I know how hard that is. But I also know how freeing it is. When I begin to realize that God's forgiveness not only covers the condemnation of my sin, but it also covers the guilt of my sin. And I can take off that chain. And I am free. I am free from the burden of the condemnation and guilt of my sin. Not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done for me when he dies on the cross. <coughs> a little later on, Jesus would say these words. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But a slave has no permanent place in the family. But a son belongs to it forever. So, so, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. When Jesus frees us from the condemnation and the guilt of our sin, we are free indeed. The burdens are lifted, the chains are broken and gone. Our search for freedom has only one destination, and this is our big idea. This is what I want us to walk away with. True freedom, true life freedom for you and me is found only in Jesus. No place else. Not in your best efforts, not in your comparisons, not in your hoping that your good outweighs the bad. True freedom is ultimately found only in Jesus who offers us forgiveness for the condemnation and the, the uh, guilt of our sin. If you're looking today for freedom from the power, the guilt, of condemnation of sin, I offer you Jesus. I don't tell you to work harder, to try to be better. I offer you Jesus. He stands ready not to condemn you, but to forgive you. He offers a freedom that you can only get through him. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. And frankly, you don't deserve it. But because he loves you, he offers it to you so freely. A freedom that will lift your heaviest burden. We oftentimes think that if I could just be free, I can do whatever I want to do. And if I find freedom in Jesus, then I can live my life the way I want to. But that's not true. Because there's one other thing that we need to keep in mind. 
When we are set free, we are not free to do what we want. We are free now to do what he wants, to live as he wants us to live. When we are no longer burdened by our sin, we are free to love as Jesus loved. And this is what Jesus said. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Set free by Jesus, we now love as Jesus loves. So I leave you with this challenge, these four thoughts. I challenge you to admit that you are a sinner. Own the reality of what you know in the quiet of your own heart, that you are a sinner. And receive Jesus' forgiveness. Understand that he is not there to condemn, but to forgive and to give you freedom. Embrace your new freedom and love others like Jesus loves. If you find yourself burdened by sin, then I want you to know that I'm here today. Talk to one of our staff. Talk to the friend who brought you. But if you are burdened, I want you to know freedom. And true freedom is found only in Jesus. Would you stand, please, as we close in prayer? Gracious God, I thank you that in Jesus we are given true freedom. Not temporary or momentary, but true freedom from the power the condemnation of sin and true freedom from the guilt of our sin. Thank you that that freedom is given to us so freely. And I just pray that each one of us will walk in freedom as forgiven men and women. Not perfect, but forgiven. With a new life. <clears throat> that even as Jesus said to that woman, go and, and sin no more and live a new life. And may we do the same thing. To walk in freedom in forgiveness because of Jesus. So on this day in which we celebrate freedom as a country, I pray that we might also celebrate freedom as a people. A people who have found freedom in Jesus. And we walk without the burden. And we thank you for that freedom. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Thank you.